you can please turn with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah chapter 18. And I'll be reading the first 18 verses of Jeremiah chapter 18. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise! And go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter? Says the Lord, look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom, to pluck up, to pull down, and to destroy it. If that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that, that I thought to bring upon it. And the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, If it does evil in my sight, so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good with which I said I would benefit it. Now therefore speak to the men of Judah and to the the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning a disaster and devising a plan against you. Return now every one from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. And they said, this, that is hopeless. So we will walk according to our own plans and we will every one obey the dictates of his evil heart. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Ask now among the Gentiles, Who has heard such things? The Virgin of Israel has done a very horrible thing. Will a man leave the snow water of Lebanon, which comes from the rock of the field? Will the cold flowing waters be forsaken for strange waters? Because my people have forgotten me, they have burned incense to worthless idols, and they have caused themselves to stumble in their ways from the ancient paths, to walk in pathways and not on a highway to make their land desolate 
and a perpetual hissing. Everyone who passes by it will be astonished and shake his head. I will scatter them as with an east wind before the enemy. I will show them the back and not the face in the day of their calamity. So reads the word of God. If you'd like to turn back with me to Jeremiah chapter 18. Last time I spoke, we looked at Elijah. Uh, God met with him in a still, small voice. The lesson was that we cannot know God through great dramatic acts of his power. The strong winds that we read about, the earthquakes and the fire, does not mean that God reveals himself in them. The world makes a mistake by demanding great signs and wonders. But we saw how God reveals himself in the still, small voice, his word. And another mistake that I want to bring to you this morning that people make is that people say, I'm in charge. If there is a God, he serves me. We put ourselves at the centre. Life is, and our ways are man-centred and not God-centred. And in this passage we read, we see the sovereignty of God. We see that he does whatever he likes. He is the potter. And we are the clay. And I want to bring out two lessons for us here this morning. In this passage we see how important godliness is. We see how important mercy is. God is a God of mercy. And then we see also a warning. A warning of rejection. So we'll be looking at those two things this morning. Well, first of all, godliness and mercy. And let's set the scene here. So it's about 600 years before the Lord Jesus came into the world. The prophet Jeremiah began his ministry in the reign of King Josiah. He was a godly king. And he continued to preach until the destruction of Jerusalem by Babylon in 586 BC. And here he was. He was in the southern kingdom of Judah. He was speaking from Jerusalem. And the state of the nation was very poor. They had forsaken God. They had turned to idols. 
Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And it very much describes the situation that we're in today in this country, doesn't, doesn't it? And God tells Jeremiah to go to the potter's house. Now, I don't know if you've ever made clay pots. Uh, maybe you have done at school. I remember making clay pots at school. And the teacher gave us a lump of clay and we'd spend about an hour uh, sort of kneading it with our fingers into a dish or a pot. Here is a potter. And it says there in verse, in verse 4, there he was making something at the wheel. They had a potter's wheel. There that, that wheel spun round and throw the clay into the centre of the wheel and then start moulding and shaping it with their fingers. The slightest movement of the potter made a big difference to how that pot turned out. And here Jeremiah is watching and observing this potter. And it says there, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. This lump that the potter was shaping wasn't turning out how he intended. It wasn't what he wanted to make. Well, what does, what does the potter do? Well, they start again. Take that clay and then squash it back into a big lump again. And then throw it again onto the potter's wheel and start again. So he made it again into another vessel, it, re it says there. As it seemed good to the potter to make. That clay makes that pot. You make it as you, as you want to make it. It's entirely up to the potter. You have complete control over the clay. And that's a picture of God. He is the potter. And the Bible tells us that he predetermines all things. His will is sovereign. What he says happens. He knows the moment of our birth. He knows the moment of our death. And he knows everything that goes on in between. He's not frustrated when he makes something. There's no external force that is frustrating him from doing what he wants to do. He's not answerable to us. And this teaching is a teaching that people don't like. They don't like this. The world does not like God to be sovereign. And even sadly in parts of the church, they don't want him to be sovereign. They think that they can do a better job than God. They question God. 
on what he's doing. And this passage tells us, who, who are we? Who are we to question God? What is the clay here? What's that a picture of? Well, that's us. And we literally are clay, aren't we? Look uh, in Genesis 2 verse 7. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. The clay. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. We're clay. And the Apostle Paul takes up this theme. That God is sovereign. Writing in Romans chapter 9. And he's addressing the question why, why Jesus was, re- was rejected by many in Israel. <clears throat> and many were questioning, is God doing something wrong in not converting the whole nation? He asked this rhetorical question. Remember, a rhetorical question is a question with an obvious answer. Is there unrighteousness with God? He says, certainly not. And Paul is saying that God does what he likes. We know that the people did reject Christ. That God used that very rejection, their very wickedness, to bring about salvation to all people. When they crucified Jesus on the cross, that That work of Christ at the cross where he bore our sins. And Paul addresses those who said, why is God working like this? They were questioning why God was doing what he was doing. Paul writes, with this passage here in Jeremiah 18 in his mind. Why is God working like this? But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay? From the same lump to make one vessel for honour and another for dishonour. You see, we will never be able to point a finger at God. We will never be able to blame him for making us a particular way. We will never be able to use that as an excuse for the sins that we've done. The potter has irresistible power. And those verses tell us very plainly and very clearly he chooses some to eternal life He makes one vessel for honour. And who he wills, he leaves aside. Who he wills, another for dishonour. And theologians have wrestled with this for many years and centuries, I think. And recently... They try to elevate, they try to elevate, they they don't like this teaching. They try to elevate the power of man and our wills and our decisions. 
Well, that's another subject we can get into, but not one that we'll be looking at this morning. But I just want to say that the Bible's very clear. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. Remember how God revealed himself to Moses. I think it was in the cleft of the rock. And God said to him, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Whom he wills to harden their hearts. He will harden. We might find that difficult to hear. But that is the case. (coughs) Remember how the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Well that's because all the power is in the potter's hands. He's not the author of sin. But everything that comes into our lives comes from him. And the history of the world is all shaped by the potter's hand. The nation of Israel at this this time was in rebellion against God. And God must remind them, remind the people of his power and sovereignty. And there he says, Jeremiah 18, Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter? Says the Lord. Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. And this was meant to make them think. Think again about their ways. Well, does this mean we believe in fatalism? Is that what's being said here? Well, no. And we have to look at the next few verses to to see that that's not the case. What is fatalism? Well, fatalism is where we believe that, well, everything's written down and we can't do anything to affect anything. So we say, well, what's the point? If everything's predetermined, well, I'm just going to sit at home on the sofa and do nothing. Fatalism sees us like some sort of programmed robots. You know, we're just following out some predetermined program. Some that's impersonal. Is God like that? No. No. Let's look at verses 7 to 10. God does what he likes. But what does God like? Well, he acts righteously. The universe God has shaped is a moral one. And we are answerable to God. And God says to the people that he has power to bring them down. He says that there. The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom. To pluck it up. To pull it down and to destroy it. And that's certainly what God can do. 
He can bring down nations. But there's an important point that he makes that uh, prevents fatalism. What does God say? If that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. That makes all the difference. If we turn, if we turn from evil, he will bless the nation. And we can look at it the other way around. On the other hand, if a nation is acting righteously, but then turns to evil, then he will not bless that nation, but bring judgment. It says there, if it does evil in my sight, so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good with which I said I would benefit it. So, to summarise, past blessings are no guarantee of current blessings. We were once a Christian nation. Does not mean God will continue to bless us if we turn to evil. On the other hand, past judgments are no guarantee of current judgments. A nation can turn from its evil ways. There is hope for some nations in this world. We can think of maybe North Korea, the wickedness of the government there. If those people cry out to God, then things can very rapidly change there in that country. This applies to nations. It also applies to individuals. If we walk in sin, then we can expect God's judgment. But if we turn to God, then he will relent. On the other hand, we could say, well, I've been a Christian 30 years, but now I'm not following him anymore. God will judge that person. And what is good to God? What he likes is godliness. And he shapes our lives in response to whether we turn to evil or turn away from it. That's the clear teaching of this passage. There are two things at the centre of the Lord's message to the people here. Godliness and God's mercy to those who turn from evil. And it's the same for us today. Same message. This country can, can turn from its evil ways and turn to God. And whenever we think of the, uh, uh, the sovereignty of God in, in, in everything and predestination and things like that, we can get ourselves tied up in knots. Could, we could think, well, could Pharaoh have turned from evil at the end? Could Saul have stayed on the good path? He was a king that started well. 
and then turn to evil. And we can maybe get ourselves into knots of thinking about such things. There are some subjects where we must acknowledge our limitations in fully understanding. Limited in that God's wisdom and ways are always far and above our ways. Limited also in that God doesn't always reveal everything we want to know about him. You know, don't we? He moves in mysterious ways. And we just have to trust him. The truth is, God is the potter. He does what he likes. But his universe is not a fatalistic one. It's not one where our actions don't play a part. They do play a part. What we do matters. Our prayers, they matter. When we sit down in a quiet place and we pray, that matters. We must act in a godly way and obey him. He does what he likes. But we are responsible. There will be a day when we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. If we turn from our sin, God will save us. And I want to tell you, if you haven't yet done so, to put your trust in Jesus Christ, who suffered on the cross. He will cleanse you from your sin. He will wash away all of your sins. All those sins that you've done. He'll take them as his own. And he died on the cross to, su- to suffer the punishment of those sins. So we've seen the, the godliness and mercy of God here. Well, what happens next? And this is the next, the second thing we'll look at this morning. Well, it was rejection. And we also have here a warning for us. Jeremiah leaves the potter's house and he gives a, right, a very direct challenge to the people. Thus says the Lord, behold, I am fashioning as a, a disaster and devising a plan against you. But again, he comes with grace and mercy. But return now everyone from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. There is a way to prevent such things. If they return to God, he will relent and bless them. He will have mercy on them. And that same invitation is there for all of us here. All of the people here who are living in Chelsea Wood. But what do the people say? They say, this is hopeless. Look at verse 12. That is hopeless. So we will walk according to our own plans. And we will, everyone, obey the dictates of his evil heart. So God is offering hope 
But the people say, that's not hope. You see, they would have accepted the mercy of God if that was all that was being offered. But God was telling them to repent and turn from their evil. And that's not what they wanted to do. I'm sure many would say today, yes, oh, thank you for being merciful for me, but I'm still going to go and commit this crime God wanted wanted them to turn from evil God clearly says that he's the potter we are the clay he is sovereign but we say we are sovereign we will walk according to our plan And this really sums up the difference between a Christian and someone who is not a Christian. A believer. They see and recognise the sovereignty of God over their lives. They know that and bend their will to God's. Your will be done, not mine. They want to be changed, moulded from the inside out. And we live, don't we, under the revealed word of God. We want to follow it. We want to please the Lord. But the world does not want to do that at all. They want to do as they please. There are many people with great plans do great things in the world isn't there no doubt about that but they act according to their own will the dictates of their own hearts there's no doubt that people do amazing things but they don't do it in reference to God think of Elon Musk he's building spaceships and he's uh, building Electric cars, uh, supposedly he's going to save us from climate change with all these things. Um, he runs X, formerly known as Twitter. He's <laughs> doing so many things. Is it possible for one man to do such so many things? And yet none of those things bring us any closer to God. Is he submitting himself to God's will? Christian does. But the world does not want to do those things. It wants to lay up treasures in this earth for itself. It's defiant against God. And we read that, don't we, in Luke 12, verse 19, of someone who says, Soul... You have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink and be merry. But we don't know when our souls will be required of us. And we can very easily fall as Christians, as believers into this sort of attitude. We have our own plans. We've, you know... 
some of you young people, you might have plans for what you want to do in your life. But is God king of your life? We are reminded in James chapter 4 verse 13. Of those who say, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city. Spend a year there, buy and sell, make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapour that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or do that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. And what's that really saying? It's the clay saying to the potter, make my life like this. I want to be this. I want to do that. I want to go there. I remember someone I met on holiday just before the first COVID lockdown happened. And they were very put out and angry over the things that she couldn't do over the coming months because of that lockdown. She was, all, she was in tears. And I thought about that and I thought, well, God is sovereign. Aren't we to accept what he is bringing about in the world and follow him wherever it goes? Whatever happens might bring many troubles to us. We know that God is with us. He is the king. He's sovereign over all things. and He knows and can bring, all, bring good out of all the things that happen to us. We trust him with the course of our lives. And then we look at the, the last few verses here up to verse 18. We can look at the things that are going on in this world. We can talk with disbelief at some countries that are doing certain things. And it says there in verse 13, who has heard such things? And here are people who are talking about the nation of Israel. Look at this country. They were a nation that followed God. But look at them now. They follow other gods. And they're no different from us. In fact, in some ways, they're even worse. Look at the things that they're doing. They've forgotten the Lord. In verse 14. Will a man leave the snow water of Lebanon? Think of a place up on the mountain. There's a spring of water. Fresh, cool water. Water that's melted from the snow. It's pure. We've been thinking a lot about the water condition in this country. And the, the sewage that's going into the 
the watercourses and the rivers. Here's pure water, fresh. What a blessing. And what do they do? There, that blessing is right in front of them. But they ignore it and look elsewhere. It says, will the cold flowing waters be forsaken for strange waters? This country has known great blessing. It's known the refreshing water of God's word. But now, people are looking for other answers. They're looking to the politicians to solve all the problems. They're not looking to God's word. And then in verse 15, it talks about a highway to God. They were not living in a pagan country where God was not unknown, where the God of Israel was not known at all. They had God's word. And yet they did not follow in his ways. His ways are like a highway, they're plain. Did they tread those well-trodden paths? No. They didn't choose the way of salvation that God had plainly made for them. No, they stumble off the track to walk in pathways and not on the highway. I'm not going to go this way. Oh, I'll go this way. Those ways don't lead to God. And then what else happens? Verse 16. The nation is in such a state that all those who pass by are astonished and they shake and shake their heads. Oh, how such a nation has fallen. And this was all describing the situation in Israel at that time. Oh, how a nation has fallen. But if they turn, they will find mercy. But they don't. And God will show them his back. It says there, it's verse 17, I will scatter them as with an east wind before the enemy. I will show them the back and not the face in the day of their calamity. And here is a warning for us. God offers us mercy and forgiveness if we turn to godliness. But if we don't, we will face the judgment of God. And in the New Testament it speaks about this also. There's some verses which always fill me with a certain dread. And it's those that say that God gives us up. Gives us up to evil. It's like a point where uh, the people have become so bad that God says, away with you. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. But as individuals, we can turn to him. 
There's always hope for us. And finally, God requires godliness. And he is ready to show us mercy. And this passage tells us don't reject him. It's not too late. We can repent. If we are living, then it's like the pot that's in the potter's hands and it's still on that wheel being moulded and shaped. It's not too late for us. God will make us into another vessel. We are marred clay. But God can remake it. He can put a new heart in us. He can give us a heart of flesh instead of a stony heart. And just think of the many people that God has remade. Think of Saul of Tarsus. There he was on the road to uh, Damascus. Marred clay. But then God wonderfully made him into a a vessel of honour instead of one made for dishonour. And that's the case for every one of us who have been born again of the Spirit of God. Those of us who have put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He makes us vessels for honour. And the potter can do that. You can't do that. Only the potter can. And he can do that if you turn to him and ask him to do that. That's the wonderful message of the gospel. He can change you. Will you turn to him? Or are you still following the dictates of your own heart? If you follow him, there'll be much blessing and honour. And one day we'll be with him in heaven. And there we will be perfect. We'll be completed, made pots. Vessels of honour in heaven.